Um, Good evening, everyone. So today's reading is from Romans 14, um, and it reads, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another person considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, uh, for, um, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be Lord over both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, let us make up our mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacles in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is in distress because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better to not eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you had been watching the midweek news closely, you would have, you would have seen that Sam was meant to be preaching today, but unfortunately Sam's sick with the tummy bug. So I got the late call up and he's helpfully sent me through some of his notes. So <laughs> just keep all that in mind. 
Uh, it's helpful though, I'm preaching, I'm preaching on the passage next week and it kind of really forms uh, one big argument from the start of chapter 14 right through to the second half of chapter 15. So we're kind of in the same ballpark, so that's helpful. I uh, hear uh, Paul in this letter, as we've been uh, looking at it over the past few weeks, he's writing to Rome and this is uh, the earliest church community in Rome. So really they're just learning about what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they're living in a culture uh, that finds them as weird and sometimes is hostile towards them. Uh, and like most early churches, uh, the church in Rome is very diverse. It's multi-ethnic, it's got rich people, it's got poor people, it's got slaves, free people, men, women, uh, very diverse culturally. And they're also learning about what it means to live together in that diversity. And the question uh, that is really kind of on view here in this section is, how should Christians treat each other when we disagree? How should uh, Christians treat each other when they disagree with each other? Now, believe it or not, my wife Liz and I, we've disagreed before. Hard to believe, I know. I think one of our most passionate and pointless disagreements was about what strawberry milk to buy. This is when our eldest child was very young and none of us had had much sleep. As soon as I mentioned that story at 10am this morning, I saw Liz uh, just talk to the person next to her about that exact fight. It's still a hot button issue. You can ask her about it if you come along to convention. Now, some of our disagreements might be harmless or a bit funny, uh, but some are much more significant than that. And we can see across the history of the church, uh, disagreements over doctrine or practices have divided churches. They've led to different denominations. They've even led to some Christians persecuting other Christians. They've been huge issues. And we're a, a diverse church here at 4pm at, at St Jude's. We uh, have lots of points of difference here as well. People uh, here have grown up in Presbyterian churches, maybe Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, Catholic churches, and even in the Anglican church there's all sorts of diversity and difference. There are people who haven't come to ch- uh, been brought up in church at all as well. We also come from different places, uh, from Melbourne, from Sydney, from regional Victoria, from across Australia, from around the world. We have people here who perhaps are politically progressive and some who are more conservative and kind of everywhere in between. Lots of differences, right? It's one of the things that's so rich about our community here at St Jude's. But which with diversity also comes difference and also the possibility of disagreement. And sometimes that kind of bleeds into what we think about what the Christian life looks like. And this is a very similar situation uh, that was happening in Rome. Uh, Some of the believers in Rome are ethically Jewish. They've grown up obeying the laws of the Old Testament, the Torah. Others have grown up in Roman society. They're used to lots of Roman gods and uh, practices and sacrifices and rituals. And they're kind of coming together uh, as a new community uh, trying to follow Jesus. And there are challenges that arise when they come together. Uh, The Roman church has got some. They've got one group has hang-ups over what you should eat. 
what sort of days you should observe. And the other group has a, a hang-up as well, mainly the first group. What seems to be happening is that some of them, uh, probably those who grew up Jewish, are vegetarians. But they're not vegetarians because of ethical concerns uh, or meat production uh, or uh, compassion for animals. Actually, it's about purity. Uh, the worship practices uh, in Roman society meant a lot of the food, uh, the meat that you bought in the markets had been sacrificed to idols. Uh, and so some Jews chose not to eat them because of that. And you might uh, kind of refer back to Daniel uh, in Babylon who abstained. And so there are some people who think it's okay to eat meat, some who think it's not. This is not a passage against vegetarians, as some might have suggested. And so Paul says, with all that in mind, verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does not, for God has accepted them. On this issue of what to eat, uh, what days to observe or not to observe, uh, Paul calls these issues, uh, verse 1, a disputable matter. These are disputable matters, meaning there's not uh, a, right, a completely right or wrong answer. What, whether you eat meat or not is not really a big deal. It's not a deal breaker to being a Christian to face either way. It's up to you. It's a disputable matter. Uh, the second disputable matter is, as I said, they're judging, that they're judging each other over are sacred days. Uh, like uh, diet, uh, sacred days were a big marker of Jewish national identity. Uh, in the early church, uh, early church, some of the eth- ethnically Jewish believers were probably still observing the Sabbath and other really important days on the Jewish religious calendar while people who weren't Jews and become Christians, they weren't doing that. And so some of them do observe or they don't observe the Sabbath based on their conscience. So what's the problem then? Well, the problem isn't if they're observing it or not. The problem is they're judging each other. And that's the language here quite a few times. It's there in verse 3 a couple of times. Verse 4, verse 10, verse 13. Uh, Paul also calls it uh, treating each other with contempt. He got pretty serious in verses 3 and 10. So they're judging each other, they're treating each other with contempt because of these disputable matters, things that don't really count that much. It's really just a manifestation of human nature, isn't it? We pretend that we don't do it, but that's what we do. Instinctively, we make judgments about each other. Sometimes it's on a huge and very destructive scale. Uh, Racism, ethnic tension, class division, and judging people from assumptions based on the colour of their skin or their gender or, or whatever that might be. And we do it even in little ways that are more subtle and uh, probably harder to call out. Like the way we think, uh, the things we think about someone who has a different political pr- preference to us. Uh, there was a website uh, that did a uh, survey asking people what that they secretly judge others for. 
I wonder what you would put on that survey, what you'd write in. Here is what some people wrote in. They secretly judge others for not putting their shopping trolley back. They judge people for the background on their phone, especially if it's a picture of themselves. They secretly judge others for their driving skills. Lots of answers around that. They judge each other for uh, oversharing on social media. They judge people who treat their pets like children. What do you secretly judge others for? Now, they're kind of some trivial answers there, right? But we have this pattern of judging. And when it's about serious matters and when it's not... And even when it's about trivial matters, it becomes particularly harsh and divisive. In the language of Romans, it's a pattern of this world. This judging we do of others when we think less of others, when we think God thinks less of them because of some criteria we've imposed on them, that's a pattern of this world. When we think we're better than someone else, God thinks that I'm better than someone else because of I think differently on a particular issue, that's a pattern of the world. Remember back to those key opening verses in chapter 12 that really kind of set the trajectory for this whole section in chapters 12 to 16. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of the world, the normal way that we behave is to judge each other. Judging others is when we think that we're better in God's eyes than the person over there because of their lifestyle or their beliefs or some other thing about them. Even though we live in a culture that highly values tolerance and inclusion, we kind of see that very culture hardening into intolerance and judgmentalism uh, of those who don't share its values. But followers of Jesus are called not to conform to that pattern of thinking and treating others like that, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're called to a different way of living, a different way to be human. Has the church been guilty of this kind of judging, this kind of thinking? Have we lived up to our call always? even in a world where we judge people instinctively, even in the world, that world, the church is seen by many people to be judgmental, right? Sometimes it's perhaps not fair, but sometimes maybe they're right. We see an example in scripture I think is really helpful. You might have heard of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee from Luke 18. Uh, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give uh, a tenth of all I get, unlike this joker. Sadly, Christians can be just like this Pharisee in the way that we view others when really... 
we should be like the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God, right with God. This issue really matters. It really matters that we are transformed from this worldly pattern of judging others, thinking that we're better than others, thinking that they are lesser, transformed from that pattern into something new. Well, what might be the kinds of things that we judge each other over in the church? What might be our kind of spots? Remember Paul's writing here about Christians judging one another. It's within the church community. Uh, Maybe our issue isn't about observing Sabbaths or special feast days or eating meat. What might we judge each other? Might it be about politics perhaps? you seriously support that party that locks up refugees? How could you possibly vote for those left-wing parties? They're trying to squeeze Christians out of uh, the public square altogether. Too often we take what are really personal preferences or or ways of seeing the world and we spiritualise them and elevate them to the level of essentials and they become grounds for fighting and conflict and division. Now we need to hear this right. We're not saying that political issues aren't important, not at all. What Paul is addressing here is the way that we treat each other, not whether we hold certain views or whether certain views are important or not. If you're proudly conservative but you find out the person next to you uh, voted Greens, how do you respond to that? Or flip it the other way. There are plenty of issues that we could put into the disputable matters box. Should Christians drink? Some people say yes, other people say no. What should we do with things like Halloween? Uh, theological questions about baptism. All these things are important things to think about but are they first order issues is the question. Things that we should be judging others over. Some of these questions have uh, emerged and uh, have meant that denominations have uh, sort of emerged as people diverge from each other uh, because they have different answers to a lot of these theological questions. So what should we do? How should we kind of treat these disputable matters? Well, God gives us in Romans 14 some stakes in the ground to help us approach these matters and some of the answers might be a little bit different to what you might expect. You see, when we come to these differences, uh, when Paul comes to these differences in the Roman church, he doesn't try to show the vegetarians, look, you can't eat meat with a clear conscience. It's okay, you're not going to get in trouble with God. He doesn't say that, even though he clearly uh, says that that's his opinion, right? He has an opinion about it. He's got a personal opinion. He knows that eating meat is okay. 
So why doesn't he say that? He says, well, because he's not trying to, he's trying to actually get behind the issue of judging. He says, we've already got a master and a judge. Verse 4, to their own master servants stand or fall. Verse 7, none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Verse 8, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Verse 10, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Paul is saying we shouldn't judge each other, not because there sometimes isn't a right or wrong answer. He's saying we shouldn't judge each other because we already have a master and a judge that we're accountable to. Every person lives to please someone. You, me, we all live to please someone. It might be ourselves, it might be somebody else, our boss, our parents, our partner. There's always someone else at the end of every decision we make. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to live to please an audience of one. Our God, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us, the one who sustains us and the one who ultimately will judge all of us. We live for Jesus. We live to please and honour and glorify him. That's what it means for Jesus to be our Lord. You notice how many times Jesus is called Lord? uh, Ten times in the first nine verses. If someone calls Jesus Lord, then it's the Lord Jesus who has the right and the role to pass judgment. Not you, not me. And the thing is, when someone calls Jesus Lord, God's judgment isn't actually condemnation, is it? When they call Jesus Lord, his judgment is that they are forgiven and that they are righteous in Christ. And so one, I as your fellow believer am in no position to judge you because your Lord, who is also my Lord, is the judge of us all. And two, I am no position to treat you with judgment or condemnation or contempt because the Lord treats you and me with grace. As Paul quotes in verse 11, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Some of us here might be living for the approval of another person. Perhaps our partner or our our boss, our, our friends, some group that we're trying to please. If that's you, you can be free of that. You can reorient yourself to God who is the true, the just, the gracious judge. You see, living with God as our judge is actually good news, despite what society might say about him. Actually, sometimes our fellow human beings are the harshest judges of all. Just ask someone who's been bullied or cancelled, ask somebody who's worn the wrong clothes or has the wrong body shape or said the wrong thing or made a mistake. But God, because of Jesus, he judges us with grace. In Jesus, God 
judges you as innocent, as free, as worthy. You see, none of us have lived the life that God has called us to. Verse 10, we all, for our lives, stand before the judgment seat of God. But Jesus has stood in our place. He lived the perfect life. He went to the cross and bore the punishment that we deserved so that his perfection and his life might become our perfection and our life. Because of Jesus, we can stand before God and the judgment is not guilty. It's grace. So for those who are in Christ, we stand before God's machine and we find grace. And if that's the kind of God that we worship, right, who's treated us like that, how could we not treat one another the same way? And this is what Paul is saying. Every one of us is accountable to God for how we live and in Christ God has judged each of us with grace. So treat one another with that same grace. Don't judge each other for ways that we're different. Don't treat each other with contempt. And particularly the example is what you eat and what you have on your calendar. So what, that, what might that look like here at 4pm? Have a look at verse 13. Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. There's, a clear, there's clear guidance there of how we're meant to work this out. Don't do anything which offends the conscience of your brother or sister in Christ, even when you're persuaded there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, One of the early church fathers, Oregon, uh, he wrote this, eating meat and drinking wine are matters of indifference in themselves. He understood what Paul was saying here. Even wicked people may abstain from those things. The only reason abstinence of this kind is good is that it may help to avoid uh, offending a brother or sister. And when it sends offence, not just make them annoyed or something, what it means is really kind of put a stumbling block to their faith, right? Hurt their conscience. Cause them to sin. So imagine you have a friend who's struggling, has struggled with alcohol in the past, uh, before they became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were getting drunk, they were following the pattern of the world. But since coming uh, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that person is doing slow work, one step forward, one step back sometimes, but they're slowly bringing their life under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and leaving that old way of living behind. But, you know, alcohol is still a bit of an issue for that person. Now, I'm conv- convinced that I could have a glass of wine or a cold pale ale and that's, that's fine, that's all part of God's good gift. I have no ethical qualms about that. Perhaps when I have dinner with that person or we're in a church gathering together, what's the call of Romans 14? Whatever's best for my brother or sister in Christ. What's going to help them 
And it might be, well, well no, we won't have alcohol because we're laying down our rights for our brothers and sisters. That's one example. And there might, there's probably lots of others. And when we come to these disputable matters, these differences in practice, uh, Christian practice, or secondary theological questions, disputable matters, we apply the same spirit of other person-focused love. We view one another and our differences with love instead of with contempt, instead of with judgment, instead of thinking people are lesser than us before God. We assume the best of each other's theology and motivations, not the worst. Again, as we say that, we need to take Paul at his word. He's not saying that every difference is fine. He's not saying that there is uh, no theology or practice that is inherently right or wrong. You can't use this passage to suggest that because your conscience is fine, well, I can sleep with whoever I want and I don't have to pay my taxes because my conscience is okay with that. He's not saying that. You read Galatians, you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see that there are some very important, there are things of Christian life and faith that Paul will, uh, that hill Paul will die on. But this teaching is about secondary stuff, those disputable matters. And we've got to learn to triage these issues. Sometimes it's tricky to work out what is uh, sort of a sort of foundational issue and what are some of these disputable matters. We can't sort of fold all of the matters into one or the other, make all matters disputable or make all matters foundational. And part of working out which is which, that's what we do together as God's family. But we've got to learn to triage the issues. I was in uh, the emergency department a few weeks ago. I have this lovely cat who scratched me on the eyeball. And um, I went in there, they had a look at me and they worked out pretty quickly, you'll be right. So then they put me back in the waiting room and I sat there for five hours. That's kind of like a disputable matter. <laughs> there were other people that needed to be seen that were way more important than my issue. You'll be fine, Alex. Turns out I was fine. Didn't bleed to death through my eyeball. And as we triage those points of difference between us and disagreement, the call here is to, uh, to major on the majors. Don't major on the minors, but major on the majors. Make the big things the big things. Let go of the things that aren't such a big deal. It's a call here to treat one another with grace, the same way that God has treated all of us with grace. Not with contempt or judgment because we think we're better than others because we have the right views. It's a call to look at ourselves and our community through transformed minds, not through the pattern of this world. Shall I pray for us? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word to us and we really want to take it to heart as your community here at 4pm. In our disagreements, help us disagree with love 
and grace, the same way that you have loved us with your love and your grace. Help us be wise about what things are important, what things are important but also are disputable and help us just not to get caught up in trivial arguments. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.